Join ResU in thoughtful conversations that will pique your curiosity and expand your mind. ResU's thought leadership and partners will introduce unique ideas and ways that help listeners make choices that are influential, mindful, and impactful. What's the best way to reduce? Eat plenty or starve yourself? Starve yourself? Wrong. Give us a week. We'll take off the Thank you. We're back. Today we're talking about the fastest growing weight loss program in history. In its first eight weeks, a quarter of a million people started. What is it, people? Hello, and welcome to Thinking Out Loud a podcast hosted by Resurrection University. I'm Dr. Tree Scanlon, President of Resurrection University and your host. Joining me today is Dr. Christine Totes, Assistant Professor in the College of Health Sciences at Resurrection University. In this episode, we're talking about popular diets of the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. Every day we hear about what not to eat, what to eat, what to do to lose weight, then we gain, we lose, we gain again. And um, Chris is here to help set us straight and tell us all about these diets everyone is talking about. But I think the big message you want to get out first, Chris, is whatever you pick has to be sustainable. That's exactly it. You know, I mean, if you've chosen a specific eating methodology, whether it's keto or paleo or Atkins or the zone or whatever you want to do, mm-hmm. it's something that needs to be long-term sustainable for you. Okay. Because the reason people end up using these eating methodologies, which is what I would like to call them, they use them as a diet to try to lose weight. They go back to their same old habits and their weight starts to yo-yo. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm on carbs. I'm off carbs. I'm eating high fat. I'm not eating fat. Like whatever you're doing and bouncing back and forth, A, it's very confusing to your metabolism and B, it starts to give you almost a mental condition similar to an eating disorder. Okay. Anything that's sustainable for people helps not only just buy in for how they feel and do they feel good while they're eating this way, mm-hmm. but also emotionally, how are they feeling around food? So that that brings up a couple of things. So first, emotionally, how do you know what you should be picking? And is there things that are better for you as a person? And how do you know that? Okay, so everybody loves fat, sugar and carbs. Sure. Let's let's just roll that out. Mm-hmm. Those are everybody's feel good foods. Sure. So when people are like, you know, you can ask anybody like, tell me what is your favorite food from your childhood. No one's like kale salad. Yeah, no. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> They're like macaroni and cheese or my mom's pie or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So fat, salt, and sugar are the three things that actually tone your adrenals down if you're stressed out. So a lot, this is a lot of times people will emotionally eat, and those are the foods that they go for. So that's like the comfort foods that people go towards when. You know, they're at the deadline at work and they're just getting it done and they're just like, oh, I need something to to calm me down. Exactly. Those or, you know, quick and convenient foods, you know, chips, things out of the vending machine, soda, Mm -hmm. stuff like that. But it's still filling that fat, salt and sugar. So is there a a good fat, salt, sugar to eat so that you curb that, but you don't go off the edge? Um. There is in variations, okay. yes. I mean, I've had people that have unstable blood sugar that'll wake up in the middle of the night, and I'll tell them, I'm like, I know it sounds weird, but keep some hard-boiled eggs around your house. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, sprinkle just a little bit of salt on there and go ahead and eat one in the middle of the night. But you get the fat Mm -hmm. and you get the salt. You're not getting the sugar. What about like cheese or uh, a slice of turkey? Keep those kinds of things around to kind of just curb that that feeling of needing something. Exactly. Or like even even if it is a piece of fresh fruit and a handful of nuts Mm -hmm. or nut butter, I'm okay with that as well. Try to stay away from dried fruit. It's just really high in sugar. What do you do with the nut butter if you don't have a piece of toast? You put it on an apple. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> or a pear. I really like almond butter and pears. Okay. That's a nice combination. Well, I mean, I don't think people would normally, you know, you think of peanut butter, nut butter, whatever. You don't necessarily think of putting it on a piece of fruit. No, usually. it's peanut butter and jelly. But, right. you know, I mean, if you deconstruct that and take the toast away, right? I mean, <laughs> you've got the purest form of jelly, which is the fruit. Right. Right. And then you put your nut butter with it. Sure, sure. So what is the percentage of people who lose weight and keep it off? You know, it's funny. When we were preparing for this episode, mm-hmm. I went strolling online looking mm-hmm. for this statistic. And interestingly, it's nowhere. Oh, surprisingly, right? <laughs> yes, I'm not surprised by that. But yeah, I went looking for this and I couldn't find an answer. But obviously, the biggest thing that, you know, that I did discover in this is, is much like we've already discussed, is that we need to find something that's sustainable. Because when you yo-yo your weight up and down, it uh, alters your metabolic rate. Mm-hmm. And your body needs to understand that we need to not store fat but that we need to be able to burn fat. Mm -hmm. And this, interestingly, is sort of what came into with the keto diet. Right. So why is it so hard for people to lose weight? Well, for each individual person, I think it's important that they find um, the right methodology that works for them, Mm -hmm. right? And sometimes you have to work with your healthcare practitioner, whether that's an MD, a DO, a naturopath, a chiropractor, a registered dietitian that does some integrative medicine as well. We need to get the right balance of macronutrients for you, which are your protein, your fat, and your carbs, Mm -hmm. and the right kind of exercise for you. Now, there's a joke called uh, abs are, are made in the kitchen. Exercise will help you get where you need to go, but exercise is also not a free licensure for you to eat what you want. Right. Because right. a lot of people do that where they're like, oh, I'm going to eat that cupcake today and I'll go run it off later. And we call that an eating disorder. <laughs> okay. So, well, which is not, I mean, we're laughing, but it's not funny. No, right? it's not funny. And a lot of people do this. You know, mm-hmm. they use exercise as a methodology to eat whatever it is that they want. And sometimes that works in your 20s. But as we all get older, mm-hmm. that seems to work less and less. Now, I'm not saying that exercise isn't an important part in nutrition because it is. The council recommends 150 hour, uh, hours, that'd be terrible, 150 <laughs> minutes of exercise a week, you know, which is basically like 30 minutes, five days a week. But that is based on each person, Correct. what ability they have. I mean, because it could be anything from a, a walk Correct. to uh, Pilates to, to, you know, CrossFit, CrossFit to yeah. running to whatever it is. Yeah. But that 150 minutes could be enough of go take your dog out for a walk for 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's all they're looking is get your butt off the couch and go out and move. You know? Well, that and being outside actually helps you mentally, emotionally, all that good stuff too. Getting 15 back to 20 minutes of sunshine, real light on mm-hmm. your face every day, hitting your retina, the best thing you can do for yourself. Okay. But you know, those of us who have these high pressure jobs, especially in the winter, mm-hmm. as we're getting, you know, darker earlier, can't get the sunlight. Correct. So, We're not saying only do it if you can get out in the sun. We're saying... 
do it even if it's seven or eight o'clock at night because you need to be out and breathing fresh air. Correct. Yeah. And even if that turns out to, you know, if you can break away from your office and you can get out in the sun, Mm -hmm. because, you know, I mean, it gets dark at 430 in the winter here. So, yeah. So how do I know what is the best way for me to eat? Who do I go see? And and how do we figure that out? Sure. So obviously having having somebody who has the capability to take a good history with you Mm -hmm. to find out what your nutritional goals are. Um, How are you digesting, assimilating, and eliminating? Mm -hmm. And that's all commonly done with questions. Um, Can be done with testing as well. And those are hard questions, I think, for people to fess up the real answer to, right? And so I think what listeners need to remember is the practitioner that you're going to wants to help you. And if you're not honest, they are not going to be able to help you get to where you want to go. Correct. And so I realized a long time ago, you know, I treat treat a lot of little kids and Mm You know, I mean, little kids don't want to talk to me about their poop. They just kind of snicker, right? But I have a chart in my office Mm -hmm. that literally has different, it's from Bristol, England. It's called the Bristol Stool Chart. And we use that to have a discussion. And, you know, I hand that across the table to people and they're all like, oh, wow, you really want to know. And I said, (laughs) yes, I really do. Well, because because it helps determine how they're processing food, right? Correct. It's information for me to Mm -hmm. know how do I need to best support you. So when I'm getting nitty gritty and talking, to you about sleep and how you eat and mm-hmm. and how you eliminate and, and everything else and, and your health history. Those are important components that are going to help me choose a eating plan for you for something that's going to be sustainable and work for you. Because if we turn around, let's say, and we, uh, you came in and you told me you wanted to lose weight mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, I want to intermittently fast and do the keto diet, but you're chronically stressed out and you don't sleep, it's going to be a terrible failure for you. Sure, sure. You're adding more stress to the situation. Situation, Correct. Though. Well, you just mentioned it. Intermitt- sure. Intermittent fasting. Sure. Let's talk what, about intermittent that, fasting. That is one of the hot topics that's out there right now. Mm-hmm. What is it? Who should do it? Who shouldn't do it? Okay. So intermittent fasting uh, was made probably the most famous by uh, a medical physician named Jason Fung. And he has a book. So if you want to learn more about intermittent fasting, it's a good book. Fasting has been done for thousands of years in numerous cultures and numerous religions, mm-hmm. right? So um, fasting is nothing that is new, but what they're, they've done now is they've realized that when people do fast, what they're noticing is that they're noticing changes in fasting insulin levels, mm-hmm. helping to get rid of type 2 diabetes, of helping to balance out leptin and ghrelin, which are your I'm hungry and I'm full hormones, and helping to best put people into utilizing their fat stores within their body as fuel. Now, there's a lot of different kinds of intermittent fasting. There's uh, the most popular one that most people do is something called a 16-8, which means that you fast for 16 hours during the day. You can drink water. Or, Or overnight. Yep, yep. Yeah, most people will do uh, that fasting overnight. So mm-hmm. they'll have, let's say, their last meal at 7 o'clock in the evening, and then they won't eat again until 11 a.m. the next day. Mm-hmm. So you can do a good portion of the fasting overnight, which mm-hmm. is fine. Technically, your first meal breakfast actually stands for a break fast mm-hmm. because you're you're changing your body's metabolic function from what you've done overnight to during the day. But during the day when you're not eating, obviously drinking copious amounts of water, being careful how much caffeine you take in because mm-hmm. that will still dehydrate you. And then you eat sensibly 
mm-hmm. during the eight hours that you can eat. So that's the most popular one. There's other ones that's called a 5-2 where five days during the week you eat um, a sensible diet. And then those two days you eat a 500 to 600 calorie diet. It is mm-hmm. calorically restrictive. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's also a 24-hour water fast once a week, which is also a possibility, which um, some people do for religious purposes as well. Absolutely. So the whole fasting thing, I think you have to be very careful if you're exercising quite a bit. Correct. If you're doing strenuous um, CrossFit, mm-hmm. you got to be careful and make sure you have enough fuel in order to get through the CrossFit, right? Yes. I've sadly seen people at my gym uh, doing intermittent fasting and almost passing out mm-hmm. <laughs> because, you know, I mean, it's a big challenge to your body. And obviously, you're not using glucose at that time as fuel. You're using something called ketones, mm-hmm. which is the breakdown product of fat when you're doing intermittent fasting. If you run out of ketones and we're start- we can't mobilize the the sugar out of your muscles quick enough, you get a little lightheaded. Yeah. Yeah. So one thing that you just talked about was the break fast, Mm -hmm. right? So I know since I've been a child, breakfast is the most important meal of the day, right? Mm -hmm. Well, now we're saying it might not be. It might not be for some people. That's exactly it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And some people will do the intermittent fasting. They'll do it from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. So they're actually traditionally having a breakfast when they wake up. And then cutting it off and then kind of doing the, you know, eat my calories early in the day and, you know, we're Mm -hmm. done, right? Exactly. And I've seen people flux that feeding window. The nice Mm -hmm. thing about intermittent fasting is is you can flux the feeding window. Mm -hmm. So if you're doing a 16-8, you can flux your feeding window. Mm -hmm. Or I've had, you know, I have to go out for dinners, so I'll move my feeding window back. Or I personally, like, breakfast is my favorite meal in the day. So I will commonly wake up and I wake up hungry. Yeah. Well, and I think another point that you're, you you were making is when you are intermittent fasting, the hours that you are eating, it's not the chips, it's not the junk, mm-hmm. it is really good protein, vegetables, and fats. Correct. Right? That's exactly it. Yeah, good fats. So we're looking at nuts and nut butters and and things along that line, um, avocados, mm-hmm. olive oil, and then lots of leafy greens. There's no diet on the face of the planet, by the way, that's ever said, eat less vegetables and drink less water. Right. <laughs> so it's usually my, my beginning advice for people mm-hmm. that are really lost that come in. And I was like, look, it, I want you to add a cup of vegetables every day to your diet. Yeah, nobody got fat on broccoli, right? No, no, yeah. No, <laughs> Interestingly, as well, broccoli's never your, I'm so stressed out, I'm going to eat a bowl of broccoli. (laughs) There is that. (laughs) Are there any vitamins that will help with weight loss, CBD, other supplements? Um, There can be, but again, this boils down to, is there an underlying issue behind what's going on? You know, I mean, are you looking at poor adrenal functioning? Are you looking at poor thyroid and Mm -hmm. your thyroid's not balanced? I mean, our goal is obviously to fix whatever underlying condition is there to not just turn around and give you um, Garcinia Cambogia mm-hmm. or 7-Keto DHEA as a supplement, which are common ones that are sold over the counter for weight loss to speed your metabolism up. This, interestingly, is how ephedra, uh, mm-hmm. pseudephedrine, became not over the counter aside of the fact that people like to use it for uh, cooking recreational drugs. Um, oh, jeez. But ephedra, which used to be a supplement that used to be able to buy over the market, got t- taken off of the market because it was being used as a weight loss drug and people were getting um, heart arrhythmias from it because they were taking too much of it to try to lose weight. Okay, well, I, I think that that's a conversation with your healthcare practitioner, right? For sure, yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't take any weight loss supplements over the counter unless you've actually cleared them by your physician. Okay. 
So let's talk a little bit about these popular diets over the last 10 years. Sure. First one on my list is keto. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about keto. Let's talk about keto. Well, what do you think about keto, trees? <laughs> keto is very difficult. Keto is difficult. I mean, my body responds very well to keto, mm-hmm. but you have to be very vigilant on, on meal prep. Very vigilant. On and, and making sure that you have the right number of fats. And, Correct. Um, and it's not easy. So Correct. you want to give us a little tips on that? Sure. So keto diet done well is lots of fat, lots mm-hmm. of good fat, lots of above ground plants because we don't want a lot of starchy, rooty vegetables right. because those will have a tendency to pull you out of ketosis, which mm-hmm. is the goal of the keto diet, which is why it's called keto and a tiny modicum of protein. So what that breakdown is, is 5% of, of your diet from carbohydrates and not chips, not chips. Nope. <laughs> this is non-starchy vegetables mm. and leafy greens, 20% mm-hmm. from protein. And this can be meat, eggs and cheese. Mm-hmm. And then 75% from fat, and this is from unprocessed nuts, butter, that can be ghee as well, which is clarified butter, avocados, and olive oil is probably your best oil that you're going to look at for that one. Okay. Paleo. Yeah. Let, let's go back to caveman time, right? Going back to caveman <laughs> times. <laughs> so paleo came out of research from a doctor, uh, Lauren Cordain. Dr. Cordain was a health researcher uh, for the evolutionary basis of food and diet and disease. And they believe that based on what they're seeing is that the hunter-gatherer ancestors ate things along the lines like fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, fish, wild, lean Game meat, you know, which, you know, unless you hunt, we're not getting a lot of game meat. No, no. (laughs) And then plant-based oils like olive oil. So it's usually slightly higher protein. We're looking at somewhere between 19 to 35% of your diet is protein. Again, we're still looking at more above-ground plants and plants that have... A lower glycemic index, i.e. do not cause a big insulin spike when Mm -hmm. you eat them. And then some good fiber. There's moderate intake of fats, and we want more omega-3 fat than omega-6 fat. So this is things like olive oil, avocado oil. And the nice thing is, is this usually turns out to be slightly higher in potassium and lower in sodium. Mm, okay. If you eat the above ground plants. Okay. And we can turn this into something called autoimmune paleo. By removing nightshades, these are um, Mm -hmm. plants that bloom at night, uh, potatoes, tomatoes, eggplant, things along that line, Mm -hmm. and removing eggs. Um, And that turns it into what we call AIP or autoimmune paleo, which is an offshoot of paleo that gets used for people with autoimmune conditions commonly as a first line of therapy to see if it helps to regulate their um, autoimmunity and or pain. Okay. Next one, let's talk about Atkins. That was popular for so many years. Atkins was super popular and so many people did Atkins really bad. You know, (laughs) I mean, like you going out and ordering a full on cheeseburger with a side of tomatoes Mm -hmm. is not the Atkins diet, right? which is what a lot of people made it. And I just don't think that a lot of people actually read the book. Yeah. You know, which is fine. But, you know, I mean, this is this was not what um, Dr. Robert Atkins was looking for. His research focused on uh, limiting patients intake of sugar and carbohydrates to focus on their insulin levels. And then again, using fat as fuel, kind of Mm -hmm. similar along the line to the keto diet. And there was two options. There was what they called the Atkins 20, which was more of the classic one. And then the Atkins 40 and the Atkins 20 was if you had more than 40 pounds to lose, um, you had a waist circumference greater than 35 inches in a female or 40 inches in a male and you were pre-diabetic. So what they did in that phase is they restricted the the plant options that you had to eat mm-hmm. to definitely just above ground plants. Sure. Whereas um, the Atkins 40 
was they give you a wider variety of food choices. And this was one that was common for women that were breastfeeding or, or were pregnant at the time. Because you can do any of these diets, paleo, keto, pregnant or breastfeeding, but they have to be done diligently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Before we move on to the next one, we've talked a lot about fats. Mm-hmm. We need fat to have our brain run, right? Yeah, your brain is, seven. I think it's 70% fat, but yeah. all of your cell membranes are made out of fat. Yeah. And a lot of your fat-soluble vitamins, vitamin A, vitamin D, vitamin E, and vitamin K, rely on you having fat to be able to absorb them. Mm-hmm. There was a, a push, what, 70s, 80s, where it was low-fat Fat-free diet, days. Right? Yep. And, and I, I ate think a lot that, of Snackwell cookies. <laughs> <laughs> I think everybody did, right? Because we were buying into the Kool-Aid. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that there's been a lot more research since then that says that was the wrong way for us to go. Very much so. What we saw during that decade, actually, the fat-free decade, which was in the 80s, mm-hmm. um, we saw a gigantic spike in diabetes yeah. and obesity. So what they realized was is that you know unrelenting sugar, which was the research from the 50s, right, that sugar is what makes you fat. Yeah. And what they realized is that unrelenting sugar and carbohydrates and low fat is is not the best of options. Your for body people. just can't function. No. So so let's talk about this thing that I love to call sad. Yes. <laughs> And and it's kind of a nice name for it, I think. It is. <laughs> um, the Standard American Diet. Yes, the acronym is ever so perfectly fitting. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, the joke is, right, I mean, if you ever internationally travel mm-hmm. or you have people come here from international places, they're like, wow, you guys get served food on a serving platter. Right. I mean, our portions are gigantic, yeah, right? Yeah. So the standard American diet, or the acronym SAD, is a dietary pattern that has high intake of processed meats, red meats, prepackaged foods, butter, fried foods, high-fat dairy, mm-hmm. eggs, refined grains, potatoes, corn, and high-fructose corn syrup, right? I mean, yeah. the joke of my existence when I grew up was um, I didn't know mashed potatoes didn't come out of a box. <laughs> right. You know? <laughs> so, I mean, but this is this is the processing of food here. and. Sure. The hard part is, is that even sometimes some of the the subsidy programs that we have, mm-hmm. you can stretch those dollars more by buying cheaper processed foods sure. than you can by buying fresh foods, which also aren't available sometimes in some of the areas that we call food deserts yeah. where we don't have grocery stores. So it's the hard part that we've made this food, which is not health promoting in any way. Right cheap and accessible for everyone. Yeah, that's unfortunate because I think if we didn't even follow one of these diets Mm -hmm. or protocols, if we just shopped the perimeter of the grocery store. That's exactly it. Right? You know, where all the fresh things are. All the fresh stuff is, you would be much better off than going into those aisles. And not to say that you can't have some processed food in your life, Mm -hmm. but you want the majority of what you eat from the perimeter of the 75 store. to 80% of the items in your cart should come from the perimeter of the store. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think if people just take that away from this, because mm-hmm. this whole diet and way of eating is very confusing. Correct. And many physicians don't even understand it because they're really not taught nutrition in, in medical school. No, they're not. Yeah. So shop the perimeter. Shop the perimeter. Let, let's talk a little bit about a new diet that's out on the market. Optavia. Optavia. Uh, people are talking about it on Facebook. Do you know what it is and how is that different? Sure. So Optavia um, is a program that got reformulated a couple of years ago from a program called Take Shape for Life. Take Shape for Life uh, was a higher protein, lower carbohydrate, lower 
slightly lower fat. I don't want to say like low fat because mm-hmm. it wasn't a lower fat, but lower fat and slightly calorically restrictive to push people into more of a fat burning capability to begin to change your BMI or your body mass index. It got reorganized from up above and they took a lot of the artificial sweeteners and some of the other stuff out and rebranded this program as Optavia. Mm-hmm. Um, so what Optavia is, is it's a system of pre-made foods that um, maximize a slight caloric restriction with lower sugar, lower fat, and lower carbs with a slightly higher protein intake to push people into a fat-burning state. Most people start with something that's called a 5-in-1, mm-hmm. which is five small snacks, and those are usually about a 100 to 110 calories, about 12 grams of protein, and less than five net carbs Mm -hmm. per serving. Um, And then they get something called a lean and green meal, which is anywhere between five to seven ounces of protein and about three cups of vegetables. That sounds fairly decent as far as a balance, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, But that is calorically restrictive. It is calorically restrictive. So you have to be careful that like there's changes. You get a coach when you sign up for Optavia and the coach that works with you is very very specific about what it is that are your goals, not just nutritionally, Mm -hmm. but from a lifestyle perspective. And one of the things that I do like about Optavia is that individual coaching. Your coach checks in with you usually at least once a week. Um, So they're kind of making sure, are you having any issues? Where are you noticing your stumbling blocks? But what comes with the program is a book called The Habits of Health and the Life Book. And while you're going through the program, this helps you unlock all of your little mental, emotional things that you Mm. do around food to help you really begin to change your patterns Mm -hmm. around how you eat. Because that mental, emotional aspect, I think, is very big because we all have things, you know, I got to clean my plate because my parents told me so, or you eat really quickly, Mm -hmm. you know, you pick the issue. Right. There's there's a lot of people that have, you know, a lot of kids in their family, so they ate quick or whatever mm-hmm. it was. And so so there really is a lot of emotional and mental things to whether or not you can eat the right way. Correct. And, and how do you address those things? So sometimes I have people, there's certain things that I'll do for people. There's, there's a couple of books that I recommend commonly for people. Um, one's called Mindful Eating, and mm-hmm. it's uh, Eating Meditations. Um, there's another one called The Slowdown Diet. Um, which uh, begins to change around your appreciation of what you're eating and food. Because I need people to feel their... There's about a 30 to 90 second window where you're eating and you're like, you know what, I'm totally satisfied right now. And sometimes you make the decision to just keep eating for flavor. Right. (laughs) Because something is good. Or because it's in front of you. Because it's in front of you, Mm -hmm. right. And so, you know... I have people, I need them to tune into that so that they know what that feels like to work on really chewing their food for better digestive capabilities, putting their fork down, actually taking time, leaving your desk, go someplace else, go yeah. eat, right? Like mm-hmm. a lot of us eat at our desk, yeah. right? And and these are the behaviors that that need to that need to change so that we can start to change that mentality around food and stop being potentially a slave to the scale. Yeah. And you said something about, you know, a lot of us eat at our desk and I think we're, many of us are guilty of that, Mm -hmm. but, but even dinner, Mm -hmm. if you're going to have dinner and you have a 
people in your house that you're going to eat with. You don't sit in front of the TV. Go to the table. You have a table. (laughs) Eat at said table. And if you don't have a table because, like, you live in a studio or something, don't turn on the TV. Right. Actually speak to those people that you live with. Hopefully you enjoy them. (laughs) (laughs) And if you don't, just tolerate them. (laughs) Exactly. And if you don't, maybe just sit in silence and listen to some chewing. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a number of things out there on the Internet. Have you seen the commercials or the ads for something called Doom? Yes. So I saw these a while ago and I was I I'm like, wait a second, <laughs> what is this? Yeah. Because I'm a I'm a fan of my fitness pal, which is a tracking app, mm-hmm. you know, because you know, when you have to write down what you eat every day, you think twice about grabbing that extra cookie or whatever. Yeah. But Noom Noom is a paid app that takes a behavioral approach to weight loss for people to be able to build healthier habits. So you notice we keep coming back to food and behavior. Oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> but they do take a healthier approach to your habits. And so they'll get you a personalized caloric breakdown. They will do some food monitoring. So you're going to monitor your food. You're going to log your weight, potentially blood pressure and blood sugar. If this is something that, you know, we're looking to get you out of a a phase potentially of prediabetes or diabetes. And it gives you a coach. And during business hours, you can contact that coach as often as you so desire. Oh, wow. Which is kind of nice. And so they help you set up those achievable goals for you. But they really dial into that behavioral aspect around food. Well, because if you can break some of your habits, it makes things that much easier, right? Then it becomes a lifestyle and not a diet. Right, right. Because ultimately, we want to get to a point where we just have a way of being and eating Mm -hmm. versus having to count calories or worry about all that stuff on a regular basis, right? Exactly. Yeah. What role does water play in all of this? Water plays actually a really big role in weight loss. Many people think that they're actually hungry, but um, hunger is, or dehydration is actually appreciated commonly as hunger. Okay. So I usually tell people, like, if you feel like you're hungry, Mm -hmm. drink an eight ounce glass of water and tell me in 15 minutes, are you actually still hungry? Right. And if you're actually still hungry, then you're probably actually still hungry. Right. But most people don't drink enough water during the day. How much water should we be drinking? About half your body weight in ounces of water. And just remember that like, just like a dehydrated plant, if you don't drink that much, we have to slowly add that water in or you're just going to be spending a lot of time in the washroom. (laughs) Right. Exactly. It just flushes right out. Mm Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, we talked a little bit earlier about the role of exercise, but what does exercise do for you emotionally, but also in the ability to either maintain weight or lose weight? Exercise exercise is pretty pivotal for most healthy lifestyle choices. Mm-hmm. Now, I can tell you that in the role between cardiovascular training and weightlifting, weightlifting will win all day because you continue to burn calories after you weightlift. Okay. So I usually encourage people, even if they're lightweights, you know, I'm not selling you that you got to go, you know, heave a 35-pound barbell with lots of weights on both sides. But, you know, I mean, even if you're using 10-pound weights Mm -hmm. in the gym, I mean, that's a big deal. And and you'll continue to burn calories afterwards. Your heart rate will go up if you are working with weights as well. That and um, HIIT training, which is high-intensity interval training, where you peak your heart rate up and then you kind of relax down and you mm-hmm. peak your heart rate up and you usually want to do that for about 20 minutes, usually about twice a week. Sure. Those are those are my favorite forms of exercise, but for the long term, 
exercise helps with not just maintaining weight and muscle mass. It's going to help with bone density, um, especially if we're lifting weights. It's going to help with bone density, but it's one of the biggest thwarters of depression. Oh, okay. Yeah. You feel better after you get your body moving. That's exactly it. And it also, I think, you know, helps you with longevity and the lubrication of your joints and all of that kind of stuff, right? If you don't use it, you lose it, right? Uh, That's just always, like everything. That's always the expression, right? <laughs> so, I mean, if we're losing our capability to squat, all of a sudden, as you get older, getting up and down off your couch is going to be a big deal. If we lose our flexibility, you know, turning around, tying your shoes and getting your pants on is going to be a big deal, right? So we want to make sure that we're moving within what we call functional zones of things that it is that you want to be able to do in your life Mm -hmm. and continuing to reinforce the strength and strength and flexibility in those. So we talked a little bit about exercise and going to the gym. You, You mentioned that a lot, right? What if I can't afford a gym? I don't have time for a gym. You know, what What should I be doing? Walking up and down stairs in my house? I Well, tiny things, right? So I always tell people, I'm like, don't take the closest spot at the parking lot. When mm-hmm. you go to the grocery store or wherever you're going, go ahead and walk for it. Take the stairs. I'm a big taker of the stairs at work, which, I mean, we yep. have meetings. You see me showing up huffing and puffing to uh, your office all the time. Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> you know, because I mean, the, my heart rate will go up mm-hmm. and, and that's fine. You can do body weight exercises, things along the lines of, there's a lot of YouTube channels for exercise yep. for what they called Tabata training, Mm -hmm. for yoga, for mat Pilates. There's a ton of capabilities for you that's free in the world. Yeah. And I think with everybody in their busy lives, sometimes you just need to schedule that 30, 45 minutes in your calendar and keep that appointment with yourself, even if it's not going somewhere. I wouldn't even use the word sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I think it has to, I think it has to stay in your calendar. Yeah. And it's just like just like a meeting. And, and sometimes I have people that have trouble with self-accountability. Yeah. Get an exercise buddy because, mm-hmm. you know, if you promise so-and-so that you're going to show up at the park and you guys are going to go for a walk, you go. Right. Come rain, come sleet, come snow, you'll go. Right, right. Um, whereas if you're like, oh, but I've got so many other things to do, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So sometimes you got to get an exercise buddy. And I am such the person that um, I go to a boot camp and I go because um, I tell people what to do all day long. I need somebody to tell me what to do when I exercise yeah. because I've got that kind of decision making fatigue. Yeah. And um, I like the people that I work out with. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, I'm really looking forward to seeing so and so when I go. Right, right. And so it's a it's social gathering for you it also. Is. Which also boosts your... Boosts my serotonin in my brain. There you go. There Mm -hmm. you go. So if you're really confused about what I should eat, what I should do. Who who should I go see as a practitioner? Well, I would always, you know, start with your primary care doctor and tell them that you're looking to, do they have anyone that they recommend that you're looking to optimize your health in an eating plan and you'd like to work with some type of a coach? See if they've got a referral for somebody. Sometimes this will be integrative dietitians. Mm-hmm. Sometimes these are health coaches that have the capability to do that, that have extra training in the world of functional medicine somewhere else along the lines of IFM or Chris Kresser, or there's a, there's a lot of really decent, reputable companies out there that have practitioners that are certified to be able to kind of put together a functional medicine program for you that comes around diet and exercise. Chris, thanks for always keeping us up to date on the latest trends. Very happy to help. Stay tuned to the ResU podcast here on WGN Plus for more episodes with ResU thought leaders and partners that will introduce unique ideas and ways to help listeners make choices that are influential, mindful, and impactful. ResU, it's amazing to be needed.